This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. You're listening to the Red Sea Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam. I'm telling you. Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster for episode 259 of the show. Uh, Keaton, welcome back. It's, uh, what, what, did we have a break? I, I can't remember now. Um, my, my memory is fading. No, I... You were on the last were, one. Yeah, it was, because it was right before I went back to Seattle. Ah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah, it was Bob, then you, and now it's you again. So that's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's I'm very tired, and it's Tuesday. So, uh, this is this is how my memory is. So, um, tonight though, we have a very full show for you. We're going to get you caught up on a lot of the happenings with the Red Sox. We're going to be talking some Garrett Whitlock, uh, who is going to have his season ended by a hip injury. Um, we're going to talk about the eight AFL players going to the Arizona Fall League for the Red Sox. Frank German's debut, which I was at. Uh, Xander Bogarts' batting title chase. And then we are going to get into the moves that we'd like to see the Red Sox make this offseason. So let's get started uh, right off the bat. Uh, Garrett Whitlock has been dealing with a hip injury uh, for quite some time. Uh, he's apparently been limping around the clubhouse for months, you know, walking like a gingerly old man. Um, and, you know, has finally decided to uh, get the surgery to clean up the hip. Uh, so he'll be ready to go for the start of the 2023 season. Uh, my question to you, Keaton, is, you know, Garrett Whitlock, uh, I get that he's wanted to pitch, but, you know, we've been talking about this, this the fact that he hasn't been 100% for a while now. Why did they wait so long for him to go ahead and get this surgery? I have no idea. I truly don't. Uh, the only thing I can think of is that he felt that he didn't need it, and he kept insisting that like he he could go without it, but it doesn't really seem like that was the case because it's not like he was being used. So I I have no idea. 
But I guess the only other thing that I can think of besides that is, um, you know, they, which, I mean, this goes back like over a month, but like they weren't that far back uh, from the wild card um, at the, like the trade deadline. Um, and that was still when they were doing like the, I guess we'll call them the Whitlock rules and giving him like, pitch him two innings and give him two, three days off. Um and just continue his kind of a usage like that in hopes that that would keep it from flaring up, which it doesn't seem like it did. No. Um, but that's like they've been out of it for a really long time. It's like as soon as they got to that point, why wouldn't they have elected to then get him taken care of? Um, I mean, I guess they expect him to be ready for the start of the 2023 season, so it's I guess it's not too late at this point, but it seems like they're just playing with fire. Just letting him kick around there, like in their potential for getting much worse seemed higher than if they just shut him down like weeks ago. I don't get it. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I mean, we, we, we pointed out the odd usage patterns for um, for Garrett Whitlock, you know, probably a couple months ago uh, because he has been dealing with this for so long. And it's nice to have a little bit of clarity about, you know, just how bad the hip has been. Um, to kind of explain those usage patterns. But again, I mean, he hasn't really looked like himself uh, when he's been dominant here. He's going to have surgery on the right hip. Um, I would have liked to see him get it a little bit before, you know, maybe when the Red Sox playoff chances were like 4% or something like that. I don't think you needed yeah. to wait until they were less than 1% or practically zero uh, to get it done because you know how rehab goes. I mean, sometimes there's setbacks in rehab. So I think just more time... Uh, on on the side of of having him be able to rehab is always a positive in that regard. Yeah, and I guess from what I briefly read, it doesn't sound like a very serious surgery. I think they're just going; it's arthroscopic, right, to just get in there and clean some stuff up. So um, shouldn't be too difficult, I guess, to to recover from that. But it is a hip, so it's like he's going to have to be put up for a bit there. Yep, you do use your hips quite a bit. Yeah. Um, uh, some other news here. Um, Cutter Crawford is not going to pitch again this year. Um, we kind of thought that he wasn't going to. Uh, he is rehabbing, but he's not going to pitch again uh, because there's just not enough time in the season. Um, but the move that is corresponding with Garrett Whitlock is Connor Siebold is being called up. Uh, Siebold has not had a very good year uh, for the Red Sox. I mean, he really struggled when he came up uh, with the club for, you know, three starts, 11 innings, um, was really hit very, very hard. Uh, he's been a little bit better in AAA over 86 and two thirds innings pitched. He set a 3.32 ERA uh, and he hasn't walked anybody, but by all reports, I mean, his stuff has been down a little bit. So as you listen to this on uh, Wednesday, uh, Connor Siebold will be getting the start for the Red Sox against Cincinnati. I guess, you know, one of the only good things you can think about for, for Connor Seabold getting this spot started is he's going against a pretty weak Cincinnati Reds lineup. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Are you going to be looking for anything in particular from Connor Seabold? I mean, I know his his best pitch in the past has been the changeup. That's seemed to have taken a little bit of a step back uh, this year, he's always had a bit of a fringy fastball. 
decent slider and curveball, but I mean, what are you going to be watching for when you see Connor Siebold? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hoping that he can make some improvements. And um, I mean, his numbers in AAA have obviously been better than what they were in the majors. Um, so I, the walks, I think, is kind of what was a little bit uncharacteristic. I mean, it was a really small sample size um, in the majors, so I guess that's a little easier to write that off. But um, I think just the walks and keeping the ball in the yard. Yeah, um, that's the big one to me. Yeah, those those two things I think he has struggled with in um, – kind of both of his stints. Um, I think he gave up a home run in um, that 2021 short little stint there as well, too. So um, just being able to adjust to the major leagues, which I think, as you pointed out, this not being a crazy lineup here with the Reds is probably a nice little transition to break that in there. Um, But, yeah, it'd be nice to see him just to have a nice outing and kind of get – more on track at the major league level um, so that we don't feel like he's just kind of a quad A. I don't really know what to do with the Red Sox roster is built, especially on the pitching side. I don't really think there's a use for that kind of role. Um, And I think we've kind of been going back and forth on Seabold and Carter Crawford, and if Crawford just can't figure it out, or not, uh, Seabold can't figure it out, um, then I think I would much rather see Carter Crawford stay to be that guy that's the spot starter, um, maybe like long reliever, whatever kind of role they end up kind of figuring out. But I think that may have flip-flopped for me because I think I felt the other way at the beginning of the season. But now after, you know, we've gone through, or are we at 145 games now through this through this season and what we've seen so far from – uh, Carter Crawford have been much more impressed with what we've seen from him. Uh, so, yeah, I'd like to see Seabold take some steps in the right direction. I think it starts with not walking guys and keep the ball in the yard. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, more attractive pitch characteristics from Cutter Crawford, and I agree with you. I think I viewed the two players pretty similarly at the beginning of the season, maybe even favoring Seabold. But, uh, yeah, they've gone in two completely different directions. So we'll see if uh, Seabold can get back on track and be more than just a emergency up and down guy, which is what he looks like right now. Yeah. Um, Going to the Arizona fall league for the Red Sox. They just announced their Arizona fall league rosters. There's eight players going the headliner here uh, for the Red Sox is definitely going to be Nick York, who um, has had a very disappointing season from, you know, the standpoint of what we expected Uh, from Nick York offensively. Um, I was a little surprised that he ended up getting the uh, selection to the AFL just because with all the injuries that he's dealt with this year, I wasn't sure if they would just decide to shut him down and kind of, you know, count this as a little bit of a lost year uh, in terms of, you know, his development. But it seems like they're, you know, intent on uh, seeing what he can do uh, against fall league pitching, um, which is, you know, always, always, uh, pretty solid. Um, guys are usually throwing pretty hard out there and, uh, pitching in a little bit shorter stints. So I think he's going to see some good pitching. Were you surprised at all that Nick York, uh, got the call to go to the fall league? No. Um, 
I think they want to get him some confidence because I think they want him to be healthy, obviously. Um, but he has had a bit of a down year in his um, uh, development. And so I think getting him more at-bats is really kind of just a positive there and getting him more playing time, getting him more comfortable. I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, and also because he's missed time due to injuries, I think um, like he, you know, he has the the strength to get through. It's not like they're really like extending him and overworking him for a season. Um, so I think, I don't think it's a bad thing. And I don't think I was surprised. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the reasons make sense. Uh, and, and yeah. I do like the idea of getting a guy a little bit more confidence because obviously after seeing him go 300, 400, 500 at high a last year, I fully expected him to dominate. And, uh, he went two thirty, three hundred, uh, 365 this year at that same level. So it really just didn't look like yeah. him. So if he can get him his confidence back on track, I think that that's going to be a positive move for him. I think the second biggest uh, headliner here uh, going to uh, the Arizona Fall League is Nico Cavadas. Um, you know, he's had a, a, a pretty aggressive, uh, well, I guess it's probably not aggressive because he is such a such a polished hitter at this point. I mean, coming out of college, Notre Dame, he's 23 years old, but he really flew through the system this year, uh, dominated low A, dominated high A, and at uh, double at A, he's been playing pretty well, um, albeit, you know, not dominating to the same way he was before. But, you know, when you talk about equivalencies for um, the Arizona Fall League, it's usually talked about as being sort of the equivalent of like double A, maybe slightly better than double A at different points. Um, so I think it's a good thing for Nico to, to go there and get additional exposure uh, against advanced pitching because we're really not going to know a lot about Nico Cavadas until he continues to get reps against upper minors talent and you know this is a good opportunity for him yeah pretty polished uh, polished college bat um so i think the damage he did in in a ball and high a was or should have been expected um and then he got to double a and hit a bit of a wall i guess to some extent it's really encouraging to see that the obp was still pretty stellar uh, it had a 222 average, but a 370 OVP. Um, so facing the tougher talent, uh, he really it doesn't seem like he had much of an issue in the pitch rec- pitch recognition. Um, but then just just getting used to the advanced, more advanced pitching at Double A. Um, I'm pretty excited to watch him in the Arizona Fall League and see what he can do because I think, I mean, you just kind of laid it out there. It's similar, maybe slightly better. Um, talent level than what he just spent um, you know, 24 games at. So it's just more of an extended view there and, you know, getting more looks at advanced talent. So um, looking for him to just kind of basically keep that going. Um, he had 16 walks in those 24 games. So that's really impressive. So I said we'll probably see more of the same. Just a really awesome OBP. Look for him to hit some dingers in there and 
um, have a nice little showing. So I'm excited to see what he can do. Yeah, me too. I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he handles it. Um, the other two offensive players that are going to be going to the Fall League are uh, Wilder Abreu or Willier Abreu, um, who was one of the two players acquired uh, in the deal that sent Christian Vasquez to the Astros. Um, Abreu is one of those guys that they have to make a Rule Five decision on, so I think that this will give him give the team a little bit more information on that player. Um, I kind of expect them to add him um, because they went through the trouble of acquiring him and he's got some pretty attractive tools and he has performed pretty well um, since he's you know arrived here uh, with the Red Sox organization. He's played well in Portland. Um, but the other guy here is uh, Steven Scott, who is a converted, uh, really kind of all over the place, player he's played first base he's played left field he's played a little bit of right field he's dh'd um but the the more recent experiment is catcher so he's going to get a lot of reps at catcher um you know and, and get used to guys who throw a little bit harder throw better breaking stuff things like that so uh overall i think that's probably a positive he just started catching in 2021 so all the reps he can get probably a positive thing um Either of those guys interest you uh, in terms of their experience in the fall league? Yeah, I think um, you kind of outlined it with Abreu, but just you know, seeing what he does as the rule five comes, and you're probably right. I don't think that they feels weird that they would acquire him and then not protect him. So they probably will, but they just want to get more eyes on him in their own system. So I think that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. Um, on the pitching side of things, the Red Sox are sending four guys. They're sending Aaron Perry, uh, Thad Ward, uh, Jacob Webb, and Ryan Zephyrjohn. Uh, Thad Ward and Aaron Perry are two guys that are coming off uh, seasons where they were injured. So both of those guys had TJ. They both need innings, so that makes a ton of sense. Uh, Thad was pretty much the biggest lock in the world to be added to the AFL. Uh, Jacob Webb gets a new challenge up against you know more advanced hitters, and then Ryan Zephyrjohn is interesting because the Red Sox actually drafted him as a starter, but he's transitioning to uh, a multi-inning relief role. So it'll be interesting to see how Zephyrjohn's stuff uh, plays up in that relief relief role, and whether or not he can actually be you know somebody who could be a factor in the bullpen uh, moving forward. Yeah. Thad Ward is the interesting one there to me. And I mean, you pointed out that it was going to be a no brainer, but um, particularly just with the the level that he is at. So in 2021, right before you got a hurt, uh, he reached double A and only pitched eight innings before getting hurt. Uh, they weren't very good, which is probably what led to the surgery. Uh, then he's worked his way back and um, pitched across four levels this year and got his way back to double A. Uh, pitched 33 innings, um, but was nasty in those 33 innings. Uh, 41 strikeouts, um, only had 14 walks, 2.43 ERA. Just awesome. Looked really, really, really sharp and really good. Um, actually kind of surprised that uh, he looked that good coming back um, already. So I'm I'm – Going to be keeping an eye on him to see if he's able to keep that going um, with some extended innings here in the Arizona Fall League. But 
really kind of encouraging to see him come back this strong right away uh, and look really, really good getting back to the highest level that he had reached. Um, just, just barely reached right before he got hurt. So um, his comeback has been, has been pretty great. Really couldn't have gone any better. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, he's easily the most exciting of, of these arms that the Red Sox are sending there because that Ward stuff um, before he did get that injury was just kind of filthy. And it's, it looks like it's come back all the way. So uh, very interested to see what he looks like in the fall league and, you know, hope, hope that he's a factor for this team at some point uh, next year. So definitely some reasons to watch. Um, the fall league and, and keep tabs on those guys uh, during the, the fall season. So uh, let's move on to our next topic though. Frank, Frank Herman, we've been calling him German. Um, and you know, it's funny. The first time I said his name, I called him Frank Herman. Cause I just assumed like, okay, that's how you say that name. Um, <laughs> and then I heard the Sox prospects guy call guys call him German for a while and then they switched back recently, and I was at the Red Sox game on Saturday, this past Saturday, uh, for his debut at the major leagues, and the official announcers at the park called him Herman. So it is Frank Herman. Here it is. I'm saying it. It's what it is. Um, but it's going to be a tough habit to break because we've been talking about this guy for a while now. Um, I was uh, I was following your lead, so <laughs> yeah. Usually, yeah. I, I I look them up on Baseball Reference to see if I need to correct you, and this one I did not. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it didn't make sense to me. So my initial reaction was right, but you know, whatever. Um, anyhow, Frank Herman uh, was promoted. Kevin Pluecki was DFA'd. Uh, Ploiecki being DFA'd and Herman being called up were two things that we had been talking about for a while. Um, you know, kind of a bummer that Ploiecki uh, was released because, or, you know, he, he was just granted his release actually from the organization um, because he's so well liked. But from a baseball standpoint, I mean, this is a move we expected to happen like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. So actually, just I wasn't laughing at Pawecki getting DFA. I just did look it up on Baseball Reference, and they actually have German. <laughs> so that would have just reinforced it. So yeah, cool. All right. Um, yeah, I this one I know there, some of the Red Sox players themselves weren't thrilled by it, but I think it made a lot of sense because neither you or I thought he was part of this team going forward. Um, I really kind of felt like they it blocked. Wong from getting here earlier than he should have um, as he was tearing it up in triple a. Um, so yeah, this, this one wasn't surprising. I also, I think that as we were talking about um, the ways in which the roster could be manipulated to get all the guys that we wanted to see over the last you know month or whatever, a couple weeks of the season, um, this one wasn't one of the ways that I thought it would go um, and how a roster spot would be created. Uh, also, as you point out, Brazier is still here. Not what I thought would be <laughs> the options. Um, is probably why, but um, it, it wasn't surprising to me because neither of us thought he was going to be part of the 2023 
just or the Red just the Red Sox team going forward. Uh, we figured they were going to roll with, um, or I guess I, we should say after the trade deadline, once they added McGuire, then mm-hmm. it, it became clear that that Pilecki wasn't really the direction they were going to go, um, which made sense. You know, and so D, him being DFA'd wasn't a surprise, and I think that it, it made sense. And like you pointed out, it probably would have been more advantageous to happen a couple weeks ago and get Wong up here sooner, but I guess, you know, uh, I understand them wanting to do right by guys, uh, which was something that uh, Bloom talked about on his uh, most recent interview, and this this move in particular. Um, so that was – you had some interesting comments about that, so that was maybe worth listening, taking a little listen to. But, um, yeah, not surprised. Didn't, didn't seem to – to shake me any were you surprised yeah i i kind of was uh, you know to be honest it just seemed like they had already made their decision that herman was going to be part of the future and it, and it felt like a foregone conclusion um that he would be added to the 40 men and protected and all that stuff in the off season and it kind of felt like to me that they didn't even need to see him at the major league level in order to make that decision um, so it, it kind of felt like they were doing Pulecki the courtesy of allowing him to finish out the season. Um, that's why it, it just surprised me here because if you were going to do this, it, it felt like it was way too late, uh, to do it with just, you know, a couple yeah. weeks left in the season. So the timing hasn't made sense to me on anything that they've done in terms of auditions for 2023 or even, you know, going way back to parts of the season where we actually thought that they uh, had a chance to contend. It, it just never made any sense to me, them clinging to guys who were clearly not working in the bullpen or, uh, you know, not pressing buttons and, and getting these guys like Bizardo and Herman and Ort and, you know, down the line, all these guys we've been talking about forever, not getting them up sooner. So, yeah, I was definitely a little bit surprised by the move. I was pleasantly surprised that I had tickets for the game um, that he was going to debut. And so it's kind of a funny story. We get these great tickets. We were in a a box um, and we had just the best view I've ever had at a Red Sox game. And uh, I'm with my, a a couple of of uncles and um, my, my father-in-law and, uh, brother-in-law and I'm talking to them about how I saw uh, Herman at Portland and how nasty his stuff was and like you know watch out he's gonna hit a hundred on the gun he's got a nasty splitter like blah 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 he comes into the game and it's like walk hit walk hit pulled <laughs> and they were like this is the guy this is the guy that you uh we're, we're talking about this is the guy who you wanted to be up here so bad and i was just like all right well that couldn't have gone much worse um yeah so un- unfortunate for that but you know we enjoyed ourselves anyway yeah you know happens to the best of them yep can't all be yep. perfect no very much well you can if you're xander bogarts so i guess that's a good segue for our next point here uh xander bogarts who we oft talk about in glowing ways uh is just a point behind luis arise for the batting title uh headed into today's game 
I have been keeping tabs on the box scores. You have any hits tonight? He has three walks. Yeah, three walks. So his batting average stays exactly the same Uh, right now. He's uh, still at 316. Um, My question to you, Keaton, is do you think ultimately Xander uh, has enough in the tank to beat Arise and Aaron Judge, who is sort of quietly challenging for the triple crown here, only a few points behind Arise and Xander in the batting title. Yeah. um, Did the Yankees play earlier today? I do not know. Because Fangraphs has him tied with Bogarts. Oh, my. 316. So I wonder... Uh, they're in the seventh right now oh. against uh, Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. Fangraphs, at least um, as I'm looking at this right now, has them tied. So, yeah, he's right in the thick of it. Uh, well, it's, I guess this is tied for three digits. I don't know if it goes out any further than that. I imagine it's not perfectly tied, but has them both at 316. So, uh, yeah, he's right in the thick of it. And it's basically those three guys. So um, I want to say, yeah, but the season Aaron Judge is having is just kind of stupid right now. And it feels like he's just closing like a maniac. Um, yeah, he's hitless tonight. Um, his average is down to 314. So there we uh, go. You know, a little little feather in, in bogey's cap right here. Arise also down to 315. Okay. Over so, three. Right now, Xander is in control. All those walks helping out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I um I mean it's gonna be tough because the Red Sox have like a couple more series with the Yankees and the Rays left. Um but then I, I think they have you know, it's gonna be tough. But I sure hope he gets it because he deserves it. And it would be really cool to have Senator Bogarts win a batting title and then also stop Judge from getting the Triple Crown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little stick it to the Yankees uh, <laughs> one more time. Uh, yeah. You know, I've been I've been rooting for the full Yankees collapse here in Toronto to catch him, and it seems like they're just probably going to run out of time and not be able to do it. But, you know, yeah. if uh, – I'm sure all sorts of cool stuff is going to happen with Aaron Aaron Judge. It seems like he's he's uh, definitely going to be able to catch Maris unless something goes crazy um, and, yeah. and surpass him. So, you know, if we can prevent him from the triple crown, uh, that's good. That's Average good. is the only one. Obviously, no one is near him in homers or RBI. Yeah, that's like Jose Ramirez is the only other person who's above 100 RBIs. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a lock. So the average is the only only one that someone could trip him up in. And so it would be really nice if Xander Bogarts was the one to do it and yep. get himself a nice little batting title. Absolutely. All right. So let's turn our attention to the main segment for us tonight. We're uh, talking about the Red Sox offseason that we'd like to see. And so uh, Keaton and I have uh, gone and uh, kind of outlined a little bit of a plan that we'd like Heim Bloom to follow. Our plans are a little bit different, but they share a lot of commonalities here. Um, so um, let's start off right off the bat with the things that we have in common. 
Uh, both of us would like the Red Sox to re-sign Xander Bogarts and extend Rafael Devers. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to say about that? Or, I mean... I don't think so. I think we've spent six, <laughs> six months plus doing that already. That's probably yeah. good enough. I and think the, so. Both one and two are lists, like, very obviously. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, I don't think there's anything else. I mean, and, and that is us saying that we would prefer Xander over the other great options that are also on the market. You know, Xander's durable. He's proven. He's been here forever. He's an important part of the franchise. He helps you probably uh, in your quest to get Devers back here. So all the things that we've talked about for a long period of time kind of starts with making sure that those guys are part of the future. Um, number three for me Wait, was... did you set this up as our ultimate off-season plan? Uh, yes. Well, just in case you didn't, I guess I'll just remind people. This is what our ultimate off-season plan for the Red Sox would be. Like, if they could do everything that we hoped and dreamed that they could this off-season which is obviously different from a realistic plan and also probably different from the actual plan that we think they will do. Well, whatever I, I we think doozies in here that are definitely not going to happen, but they would be part of an ultimate Red Sox offseason. I actually think that maybe I was a little bit too realistic with, with mine. Like I didn't go absolutely crazy um, with, with my ultimate stuff here. Like I, I think that this, offseason could potentially happen um but it is a little bit unlikely as for all of these things to happen at the same time um so i think that is an important caveat we're we're being a little bit optimistic here um and if we get most of these things i think we'll be in pretty good shape i'm being but, a lot optimistic which um you'll probably pick up on which ones those are <laughs> when we get to them so we we may have differed slightly in our exercise here but you know yeah. at least at least similar with our first two of of the re-signing xander and extending devers but my third was signing an ace um somebody just to be at the top of the rotation it's clear to me at this point that chris sale cannot be relied on uh, to be healthy and uh if he is healthy and producing like an ace that's a bonus um but the the guys who I consider to be an ace who are on the market this year for me uh, are obviously Jacob deGrom, uh, Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon, uh, Charlie Morton, and uh, Bassett, Chris Bassett. Uh, any one of those guys to me would be an ace, and I know that Bassett probably isn't thought of. Probably not Morton either is really being an ace, but you know I think those guys are just good enough. Uh, that they would sort of qualify as the de facto ace on this team uh, if they were signed. Um, what do you think of those names? Uh, and do you like anybody in particular out of those? I mean, I guess it's kind of unrealistic to expect DeGrom or Verlander because at this point in their career, it seems like they're staying put. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I had DeGrom on mine. Um, so that that is a name that I like Verlander not so much although given his age I mean if he's just if he's down for just some like one year deals 
Sure. I guess that wouldn't be too crazy. But I think I would be looking for... So I also... I mean, I didn't... I guess I didn't necessarily have an ace, but I had like SP1, SP2. Sign mm-hmm. the top of the rotation somebody. Bring somebody else in um, to help there. And so I also had DeGrom on my list. And I also had Rodon. Um, and then... Those were, I guess, were probably like the SP one options, and then the SP two, like Clevenger and Stripling, guys. That um, Clevenger, I think, is having a much better season than his line looks like, and him being a free agent, I'd be cool with bringing him in. Um, and I, I wouldn't expect him to be the ace, um, so I would feel okay about that. And then Stripling, obviously, is having a nasty year this year for Toronto. Um, and again, I wouldn't expect him to live up to being an ace, but he would be a really, really good top of the rotation option. Help hold that down. I'm, so I'm, I'm not so much. I know you really love Bassett, and I think I'm good with Morton. Because again, I don't think you're going to, I think, well, Morton, you, again, I don't think you're going to get a lot of years out of him. And I think bringing somebody in at the top of the rotation, I want to get some commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, Bassett, you probably would, because it'll be 34 next year. Yeah. So you probably could get two or three years commitment out of him. But I think they're more exciting options. Not that he's a bad option. I just, he doesn't doesn't get me jazzed. He's not a power pitcher. No. But he's a finesse guy. And he's good. He is. He's, he's definitely my wheelhouse type guy. You know, looking at my list versus your list, you know, I, a lot of the guys on my list were older. DeGrom, Morton, Verlander. I don't think there's any chance Verlander leaves the Astros, so I don't think it's realistic. There's no way that the super rich owner uh, of the Mets lets DeGrom leave. So I think that that one's probably unrealistic. Morton has been one of these guys that's been really, really like on the fence about retiring and then really, really choosy about where he goes um, as well. So I have no idea whether or not he'd even entertain Boston. So, you know, realistically looking at these choices for me, I think it's down to like Bassett or Rodon. And I think you'd have to throw kind of a lot of money at both those guys, probably a lot more at Rodon. Um, and, And so I think that ultimately, like if I had to pick one of these guys who I think is the most realistic, I think it would be Bassett because, um, of the fact that he would get less money than Rodon and probably a little less term. Um, But I'm interested to hear which of your options you find to be the most realistic uh, for this team next year. Um, Probably Clevenger or Stripling. And I'd probably lean towards Clevenger because he has the, I guess I'll call it a dirtier line. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though the tertiary stuff still looks really good. Um, so that's why I feel like he's pitching a lot better to that line. And then also the other, to the other pieces, we there's just so much data on guys coming back from Tommy John um, and just needing more than the, the 12 months to really start kind of feeling it. It's really kind of around like 18 months. So it's really kind of like, like six months after they've already been pitching, which is essentially like a season, basically. So I feel like the tertiary stuff looks really good, and he'll be far enough removed from his Tommy John 
next year, that I think he's going to have a really, really good year next year, wherever he is. Um, so I think there's an opportunity to sign him for not a buttload of money uh, and get a really good pitcher out of it. Yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting interesting guy for sure. Um, I was just while you were talking about it, I was looking at innings uh, for those two guys um, since 2021. Um, very different Clevenger versus Bassett. Um, Bassett has been sort of a workhorse. Uh, 328 innings pitched during that time. Clevenger, obviously, coming back from the Tommy John surgery, uh, just 98 and two-thirds innings pitched. Um, you know, Bassett, 323 ERA. Clevenger, over that time, 447. But Clevenger also has that season before he got hurt where he was, you know, I think you could argue pretty ace-like, uh, 3.02 yeah. ERA in 2018 over 200 innings pitched so you know we we know that's in there um from him and he was even a little bit better in 2019 before getting hurt so uh yeah it's interesting i i think clevenger is probably the higher ceiling guy uh and bassett is certainly uh the safer option so i'm not surprised we both chose who we chose considering yeah, what our preferences like... are I think Bassett kind of feels like a Bloom guy. Yes, I agree with that. So you might be on something there. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, Bloom never does what I want him to do. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, number four for me was signing a closer. And uh, I wanted them to sign one of Edwin Diaz, Rafael Montero, who's sort of been a setup guy behind Ryan Presley this year. Or Zach Britton, who is just coming off of uh, a surgery and should return late in the season for the Yankees. Uh, what what was number four for you on your list? Yeah, I guess I didn't really label these uh, as far. Well, I mean, besides Devers, and I actually did have a side note of I started listing them out just like you did in our mm-hmm. pro, and then I was like. I need to take a more bird's eye view um, and then sent you the, the little like roster mock, whatever that I did yeah. here. Um, so the only ones that I actually had listed out were one and two of Devers and Bogarts. Uh, the rest weren't really labeled, but I guess if I had to, to like number them closer probably would be next after that. Cause I feel like, yeah, that makes sense. That's probably it. And I, I had sign slash trade because I had a couple other options in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I had Evan Rios in there, which would be just tremendous. I also had um, Taylor Rogers in there as an option and uh, Kendall Graveman, which would be really hard because he just signed a three-year deal in Chicago. Yeah. Um, but he does have experience as a closer. Um and just being like a high leverage eighth, ninth inning guy. So I think that he could be the closer. Um, and his contract is not all that bad. So if you were able to pry him away from the White Sox, that'd be nice. But probably pretty difficult to do. And the other one, we go back to something we talked about a ton during the season. And this kind of uh, leads into um, what to do in right field. But packaging, uh, getting good old uh, Bednar here with uh, Brian Reynolds. 
Yeah, I'd really like Bednar too. I think that's a really good name and, and somebody who could come available as well. Um, yeah, I, I think we're both kind of in the same camp there because my number five was trade for bullpen improvements. So I do want to see the team do a combination of those two things. I'd like them to sign some guys and I'd like them to use some of their farm depth to go out there and get some uh, controllable back inning uh, bullpen options. So we're certainly on the same page with that. And I like a lot of the guys that you said too, I'd be totally fine with a lot of those options. Um, I think it's going to be near impossible to pry Graveman from the White Sox, considering all the things that you said and considering how good the, of a team they still have and how many guys are still under control for them. But, you know, if you could do it, uh, I love it because that was the guy I was clamoring for in the off season this past year for the Red Sox to sign. So I'd yeah. be very happy with that. Yeah. I also had, um, not necessarily next, but I did, I had a lefty bullpen arm target. And so I actually had Britain on my list here mm-hmm. because of him coming back from the injury. I don't know if I would want to immediately turn over um, him being closer role, but looking at the Red Sox bullpen and seeing that they need a lefty, I uh, wouldn't mind bringing him in to be that person. I also had Brad Hand and Will Smith on there. Okay. Yeah. Two interesting guys who have <clears throat> had a lot of uh, experience in late inning roles too. So yeah, I, I like both those names as well. My next one, very realistic. Bringing back Tommy Pham. Okay, so here's my logic with Tommy Pham. I just like him. Uh, I think he's been a really good fit. He's played very well since he's been here. I think he'll take a short-term deal. Um, And I'm not sure you can do a whole hell of a lot better out there in the outfield market unless you go towards the top of the market with Judge and Nimmo. Um, but I know that, you know, you've been a big proponent of Nimmo. Um, how do you feel about how they should approach the outfield this offseason? Yeah, I guess I wouldn't hate it if they brought Fam back. I guess initially when I saw that you had to bring Fam back, I was like, eh, really? But then more I looked at it, I was like, actually, he has been a really good player. Um, uh, as he just strokes a double to left right now, too. And then that's fun. Um, <laughs> But he's actually he's hitting like 365 now. I think after that with with his the Red Sox, um, which is like 40 points better than he was hitting with Cincy. Um, so he's obviously enjoying the fit as well. Um, he hasn't stolen as many bases, but he's been a really solid fit and just getting on base and being a really nice piece of the lineup. So because of just the other options that are available, um, unless you go the the trade route, which I have a couple. Well, I guess I have one other name because I already mentioned Reynolds um, as far as like a trade option, um, which again is going to be kind of difficult. Um, it probably would make a lot of sense to just bring him back on a, on a short year deal and then, you know, try your luck with another crop or see what you can do or hope that um, maybe somebody in your farm steps up. So, yeah, I mean, I that's... I don't hate it. That's the thing, though. We've we've been talking about these these other options, and like there just aren't that many. But I think we ought to maybe discuss Aaron Judge here just a little bit because people are talking about it. You know, especially because of Judge's um, time here recently and his 
not <laughs> not uh very forceful comments about uh where he's going to be next year and the possibility of playing for the Red Sox. I mean, he had that real sly smile on his face when he was asked about it too. So, it seems like it's something that he's open to. Is there, you know, snowball's chance in hell that the that Heim Bloom ponies up the money to pry Judge from the Yankees? No, not at all. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he is a Boris fella. I believe he is. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> he's not going to take a big money market or big market team off of the market for his services. So, like when he's asked, like, oh, "Would you play for the Red Sox?" It's not going to be like. Hard no. <laughs> no. <laughs> He's not taking that money off the table and, and driving up the other offers. He's not an idiot. That's yeah. No. Boris had his response tailored weeks ago to that question. I knew exactly how they were gonna answer that. So I'm not surprised in the slightest. But no, there's no he's far too expensive. Um, yeah. There's no way that you could I mean that you would basically be conceding um, I mean, basically Bogarts, right? Because that's that's the guy that you wouldn't bring back. Um, because I suppose have... you could also be conceding that you're going to then move Devers if you wanted to bring back Xander and Judge. You know, because I, like the money still works with either of those guys. I I mean, I guess, but then we're in like the same situation that we've been in for years, and who's pitching? <laughs> I know it, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense from so many different standpoints. Like first, uh, the Yankees are going to be forced to pay him because of what yeah. he's just done. There's no way they can let him go. Second of all, he's more valuable to their franchise than he is any other franchise. Third of all, he is still somebody who has a rich history of getting hurt and not playing full seasons. So that's a knock against him. And then also he's uh, over 30 years old. So I don't think you want to back up the Brinks truck for a guy who's oft injured and over 30 years old. So I, I just, it's, it's fun, but it's not really worth talking about in my opinion. Yeah. Cause I, I don't think it works. I mean, I, I don't, it def- doesn't work with being able to keep Devers and Bogarts and adding judge. And then, if by some miracle it does, then I mean we're going to be looking at like Carter Crawford and Connor Siebold as like our second and third starters here for the <laughs> next five years. Yeah, yeah. Better off spending that money on pitching. Yep. Uh, my last bullet point here uh, was trading for Sean Murphy, and I, and I put this one last because even though I'd like this one to happen. Um, I don't feel that it is urgent um, with how comfortable I kind of feel with the platoon of uh, Wong and McGuire next year. Like, I have no illusions that Sean Murphy would be a much more impactful baseball player uh, than that combination would. But the fact that he is going to cost kind of a lot to acquire in a trade makes me think that this may not happen because we've seen this tandem be serviceable. Yeah. And that was actually, um, I not, I didn't have anything, um, for a catcher in my ultimate off season. Although if this was ultimate off season, then I guess I should have, if 
I was playing by my own rules that I set up (laughs) in the beginning um, that I should have. But uh, yeah, this was my, I guess, my one realistic thing (laughs) (laughs) is, yeah, going with Maguire and Wong there. And we also actually, so to to, to put a bow on right field, I had my, the other name that I had to, is you mentioned Nemo, which obviously Mm -hmm. I had here. And I mentioned Reynolds earlier. Uh, Trading for Ian Happ was the other name. Oh, interesting. He's had a pretty good year this year, right? Yeah. What's what's his line on the season? I'm just curious. I haven't followed Ian Happ, but uh, I know like, he had a down season and then he bounced back. Yeah, it's like 275, like 14 homers, 9 steals, something like that. Okay. Huh, that's pretty good. Not yeah. bad. And then obviously he's a I mean he's an OBP guy, so he's a guy like a 360 OBP. Okay. I like that. That's interesting. Or maybe I'm missing though. I might be making that up on the OBP. One second. Yeah, 345. Right. I gave him a little bit extra on that. Okay. Yeah. I wonder how expensive he'd be to trade for. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really know what the Cubs are doing. Yeah. You mean Except both, apparently b- aggressively pursuing Xander Bogarts. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it, Cubs. <laughs> Get out of here. You already took Theo from us. You're not taking anyone else. You took Lester and Theo. That's all you get. And oh, actually, they took Ross too. Damn it. They've taken a lot of people. Um, all right. So anyhow, I mean, I, I think we would both agree that the, the offseason starts and ends with sort of addressing the two looming free agents for the Red Sox and Xander Endeavors and then getting better at pitching. Um, you know, that those are the things they absolutely have to do. Everything else feels kind of tertiary. Yeah. Speaking of getting better at pitching, we didn't get to my uh, my one banana land of my oh. ultimate offseason. Okay. Uh, trading for Otani. Solving the, <sighs> the, the pitching <laughs> by trading for Otani. And then you've got your DH solved as well. Oh, my God. Because <laughs> oh. this, this, this was kind of when it took the turn to... Well, you did write down ultimate, yeah, pro. So I feel like I should take it that way and be like, they were talking about trading him at the deadline, so maybe they would be interested in hearing offers again this offseason. And I have absolutely no idea how you could possibly make it happen. But if we're talking ultimate offseason, that's you solve your ace problem by landing Otani, and there's your DH as well. I cannot stress how much I would love that. Yeah, like. Holy crap. Um, yeah, that would be the best thing ever. Um, and I would not like hesitate, whatever it costs. Like if, if the angels were like, okay, we want Marcelo Mayer. We want Nick York. We want Sedan Rafaela. We want, you know, like whatever, man, just take them, whatever. Um, Otani here would just be the greatest thing because, you know, you add him, Hitter in his prime, DH, who's going to hit 30-plus bombs. He's going to steal bags when he's on the bases, and he's going to pitch like an ace. It solves so many problems, and it would be the most fun thing. I would go out and buy a jersey so damn fast. I mean, yeah, that I love that, Keaton. Yeah. Um, I really hope that happens. Like, okay, not more than re-signing Xander. But like outside of that, if they re-sign I mean, Xander, you want you want Blue and, to make a splash. I don't know if you can make a bigger one than that. 
So, yeah, like uh, that would be just the most fun thing. Yeah, it would. I, I'm yeah, really, funny. really rooting for that. That would be sick. Yeah. So there's the ultimate in my ultimate off season. Yeah, <laughs> that would make me a very happy man. Um, and maybe you know you could make an argument that trading all those prospects for Otani, who can fill two roles, is a great hitter and as an ace. Uh, you know, maybe it's worth it. I think it is. Consolidates the roster spot. Seems like exactly the kind of move Bloom would want. There you go. Extra bullpen arm. <laughs> yeah. Found a way to keep Brazier on the roster. For <laughs> <laughs> well, we had to keep him, so <laughs> yeah. we had no choice. Yeah, that that would that'd be pretty good. I'd be okay with Brazier <laughs> staying on the roster in that scenario. Yeah, I feel like I'd sacrifice it too. <laughs> All right, let's uh, go ahead and get to our listener questions here before we wrap up. Um, We got a couple from uh, TJ McPhee, and he says, for his first one, how do you all think Sedan Raphael will play into the calculus of Bloom's approach uh, to the outfield this offseason? That's an interesting question. Do do you feel like Raphaela does factor into how he's going to look at constructing the 2023 uh, outfield? Um, no. I don't, I don't think either. you can. He's too far. I mean, double A isn't, I guess, that far away, but he's too far away. He just got there this year. Um, so he's probably going to start there again next year. Um, although they have been somewhat aggressive at times with their hitting prospects. So, uh, potentially, but I don't think that is close enough where you could start banking on it being like a major part of the roster and like having it affect your decisions. I think you'd rather have him force the decision than you um, bank on it and then him let you down. Yeah, I very much agree. I think there's just uh, as, as polished as he is defensively and he could come up and play gold glove defense right now. Um, there's still too many questions with the approach at the plate. And he has had a fine offensive season from a numbers standpoint, but there's still just a lot that needs to be worked on with the approach. Um, but I do think that Sedan Rafaela is maybe, you know, I, I I think he's a top four trade chip uh, for the Red Sox in terms of their system and, and his value and the way that other teams look at him right now. Um, so I could definitely see him being the centerpiece to a, a big deal, or at least, you know, even if we were talking about something like Otani, like he could very well be included in, in something crazy like that. So, yeah. uh, a name to watch for sure. And, and somebody who I've become a lot more excited about. Yeah, for sure. All right, next uh, question from TJ McPhee. He says, is Shane Bieber uh, a possibility for a starting pitcher target this offseason? And he creates uh, a couple of possible packages. Uh, He has York, Brandon Walter, uh, Brian Mata, Lugo, and Duran for Bieber. And uh, then he says it may take two out of three of York, Casas, or Blaise in addition to the others. Um you know, when I first saw this, Keaton, I just thought to myself, like, it doesn't make any sense for either team um, to to do this deal. 
Um, in, in particular, I don't think it makes sense for the uh, Guardians to do this deal um, because Shane Bieber is their ace and he's homegrown and they are still actively contending uh, right now. And for the Red Sox, I don't think it makes sense to essentially destroy the farm uh, that you've spent all this time building when all of the good options that we already named as free agents are available for just simply money at this point. Yeah. Um, I guess I'm not as down on that as you. I think that it would make a lot of sense for the Red Sox. Um, I agree that it wouldn't make a lot of sense for the Guardians, but they tend to make those trades a lot. So <laughs> I, I don't I don't necessarily see that as something that they wouldn't do. Um, and then I guess apparently I, that's been popping up over the last, I guess, couple days that they might move him, hmm. um, might move Bieber, which is kind of weird. Um, I don't, I mean, it just kind of goes into, they, they have made some weird decisions, but then again, they do keep being able to compete. Um, like we figured getting rid of Lindor was probably going to end it. Right. And then same with like Clevenger, but they're here. Here they are still chugging away. Um, and if there's a position that they, I guess would probably be the most prepared to replace. I mean, they're like a pitching factory over there. So they probably could replace that quite well. Um, yeah. They have Daniel Espino coming up. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It would it would take a lot. Um, wouldn't be easy. I think um, he's got two, uh, yeah, two years of uh, control left. He's 27, um, and he's really freaking good. So, like, it's it's not like he is an expiring contract. Uh, you have to give up something a little substantial to get him, but. Red Sox pitching has been so bad. I would love to have a guy like that uh, <laughs> in the rotation. So I, I would kind of do it. <laughs> I guess, well, not as a standalone move. As like incorporating a lot of other things that we've talked about in this offseason. Like if that if that was their big move of the offseason, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, well, I that I'd, coupled with a lot of other pieces that we talked about tonight, I feel really good about it. I'm okay with the idea of trading prospects for Shane Bieber. I just, I just don't. I guess I just don't see the point for both of the teams. You know, it just it feels like one of these situations where like there are just other possibilities that make more sense to me. But, you know, you, you, you've kind of talked me into it. I love Bieber. He was, he was my preseason pick for AL Cy Young. So I, well, I, mean, I do love him. If we're talking about, like, ace and, like, this caliber of player, you already talked about, like, DeGrom and Verlander, probably not. Um, Rodon is 29 and is due a buttload of money. And very um, and also, risky think, with his injury history. Yeah, I think he actually vested something with San Francisco where there's some kind of option. So he actually may end up being there for another year for like 
28 million dollars or something like that um so then who's left uh, from like a free agent standpoint that is a like a clear number one yeah i mean i i think, I think you gotta right. turn to a trade at that point yeah. so if if cleveland is is willing to move him i don't see why you don't reach out yeah I do not think that it would ultimately take two of Casas and Blaise. I think it would be one of those guys and other pieces. So I actually think his first deal is a little bit more realistic. I would agree. I think the Red Sox have enough interesting pieces in the lower minors um, that you just take one of those names, toss in some of those other pieces, you can get that done. Yeah. And also, you just never know how Cleveland values these names from the Red Sox. Like, maybe they love the idea of Sedan Rafaela and his defense, too. So, no. Or Jaron Duran <laughs> and his defense. A little harder to imagine that, but, you know, <laughs> seems like Jaron Duran would have an automatic friend on the team in Zach Plesak. So, um, yeah, that might be a match made in heaven. Uh, next one, Patty O.D. He says the release of Ploiecki seemed to alienate the clubhouse. In fact, lots of moves from the front office since the 2021 All-Star break have been received poorly by the team. Are the players being sensitive or is the front office disregarding the human element too much? You know, this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because I think the human element isn't talked about enough, especially in sort of the uh, type of podcasts that you know we do um and i think this is interesting because i kind of think it's both at, at this point like the red sox in my opinion have been let down and the things that the front office have been doing have been weird with the timing and they haven't been like quite aggressive enough and then they do things like the thing with Pulecki, which we already talked about the timing was a little bit weird because it seemed too late um, but I do think, I think it's both. Like I, I feel that Bloom does not have his pulse on the best thing to do, uh, as a human being to get, you know, ultimate buy-in from the clubhouse. And I do think that they're alienated by Heim Bloom and his approach. Um, but also I think that the Red Sox have a pretty bad habit of pouting when things don't go their way. And we've seen these lulls now two years in a row after, you know, the trade deadline doesn't go the way that they think it should have gone. I don't I don't know if it's necessarily behouting. Um, I think in both seasons, they felt like they had a really strong team that could win a World Series. And um, I mean, at least in 2021, they're... They had a, a better um, trade deadline, but they—I mean, I guess they, you include the this past off season too, right? Because I think they, a couple of guys, were a little bit vocal about the off season, not not kind of going the way that they'd hoped. They just wanted more help because they felt like they could see the window closing with some of the core players. Um, <laughs> I mean, we talked Bogarts to death, but. 
Um, and he was one of the guys that was talking about it. Like, I think he wanted to make the most of his last season. I don't think he wanted to finish last in his last season here. I think he wanted to make a push for a World Series, and he felt like they had the team to do it. And then no one could really tell what the direction the team was. I don't know if that's necessarily like pouting. It's being competitive. Which I think there's, I mean, there's certainly a, a thin line between that. But I don't, I think maybe it's a little of, of both. Because I think, um, like, what was coming out of the front office was even at the, this trade deadline was that they felt like they had a team that could go in the world series. And then you traded your, was it all-star catcher away? Yeah. That doesn't really back that up. And then I think they were questioning why that was the case. Um, and then Bogarts mentioned uh, like specifically, about like his relationship with uh, Vasquez and that they were like the two longest tenured Red Sox. And so that one just hurt extra a little, a little bit more extra for him. And he took that one a little bit harder just for how long they've been with the team and been together. Um, So I I don't think that was him necessarily um, kind of like whining or anything about that particular move. Um, I think it was more of just kind of questioning if you're saying this is the direction you're going, this move doesn't exactly line up with that. Um, the Pilecki one, I think, is the players being a little bit too sensitive because it's pretty clear the direction the team is going. It's also pretty clear that he wasn't part of the future. Um, so, I mean, at some point, like, and this is what, so on uh, the Rob Radford interview, um, Bloom addressed this and some of the reaction that that move got uh and he pointed out he's like you know we we could have kept him around just to um you know do what we thought was right to him but at the same time like that's somebody else's roster spot someone else's career that 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 would be affecting and like we can't just make moves based on that uh you know solely based on that although that is certainly part of the decision making and like the human factor being a part of the decisions and what makes it really tough. Um, but at the same time, like if you want, if you, if that's what was best for like Pluecki's career, like you pointed out, like we finally got to get some of these arms up here that we've been wanting to see for like a month. So for the past month, has he been a roadblock to seeing that come up? Cause that doesn't seem helpful. So at some point, like, that's got to give. So that one I understand being a little bit of, like, maybe players were a little bit too sensitive. And maybe you also kind of hit on that, too, by pointing out, like, you got this far. <laughs> like, if you didn't do it a month ago, then now seems like weird timing, um, which the Red Sox always seem really great at with their timing. But, yeah. um, like, the other comments from, like, even going back to the last trade deadline this past offseason and this trade deadline, I don't think it was them being sensitive. It was them wanting to make the most of a closing window with the core or what they felt like was a closing window with the core. Yeah. And, and just to add that. to that, like I do agree with that, that sentiment that the players are feeling a sense of urgency, but I also want to just say that like Heim Bloom, uh, in addition to not being very good at dealing with, human beings and anticipating the feelings that these guys are going to have regarding these things, all of the uncertainty that he has created with not taking care of guys like Xander or Devers or, you know, all these other players that we've wanted him to kind of 
give us more clarity on. I guess it's really just those two. Um, but not giving us clarity on those players has made just this environment where you kind of feel like you're walking on eggshells and everything feels a little bit more urgent. And I think that it's made it more difficult for the players to bounce back really quickly from things that they don't necessarily expect or understand. Yeah, definitely. And I come like if the direction of the club was clear and they trade Vasquez, the only people take it as hard. Yeah. Yeah. The uncertainty just makes it so much harder to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that is our show tonight. We do appreciate you guys joining us, uh, tuning into the show. Uh, if you haven't subscribed already, please do subscribe to the show. You'll get this one. You'll also get uh, Keaton and Bailey doing the precap podcast, previewing and recapping the Red Sox uh, series. Um, rate and review us wherever you can. Uh, if you listen on iTunes or any other platform that allows you to rate and review us, we always do appreciate that. And uh, thank you for the questions and for the listen. So uh, you can follow Keaton on Twitter at, at the Spoken Keats. You can follow me on Twitter at, at @devjake. You can follow the Over the Monster account, which Keaton runs at Over the Monster. And uh, we'll be with you again next week. So 